0: Everybody's already forgotten about the Super Bowl. Forget okay, about Greg. the Super Bowl. It's over. Greg, come on. No, I, I didn't watch it this year, and I feel guilty, as we've already discussed <laughs> on the podcast before. What were you I doing get, instead? I get FOMO worst. Nothing. Homework. Like, okay. literally <laughs> n- anything else with my day. All right. And on the one hand, I'm, I'm proud of that, but on the other hand, I'm like, I can't be part of the cultural conversation, part of the coach combo, <laughs> as it were. And I just want you to confirm something for me, okay. is that there's always, like, the there's always the conversation around the commercials, where the commercials is good this year. Because yeah. this is, you know, bonanza time for the ad agencies. It's like, look at all the crazy ideas we came up with. Yeah. And I think it was someone on the AV Club, I think, wrote that, like, the commercials now just feel like Mad Libs. It's like, this star, fill in the blank, yes. and this star, fill in the blank, recreate, name, movie, <laughs> to set to the <laughs> soundtrack of this, serving this product, blank. It's just, it's, it's all Mad Libs. Am I wrong? Uh, Am I going crazy? No, that's a great point. It, it, I think that's an original point. John, that's from you, right? I mean, you thought of that? You came <laughs> I mean, up with that uh, all by yourself? Or? Yeah, sure. Yeah, no, that was yeah, all me. All me. The the one that I think exemplified that was the uh, MC Hammer Cheeto popcorn ad. Mm-hmm. I think it's Cheeto popcorn. Again, I was kind of half paying attention. But th- basically the idea is that you can't help out your fellow man because your hands are covered in Cheeto dust. Because um, you're mm. obviously toting around a giant bag of Cheetos wherever you go. A very relatable experience move. that a lot of people know about. Yeah. So why do we need to gussy it up with the, the, with the, uh, the, the talents of MC Hammer? Yeah. I, I tried to find a better word for that. Well, because <laughs> they needed the song, and they needed an excuse to bring him in. So the, the viral that's moment, true. the whoa, weird, is he pops out of the bag and says, you can't touch this. Okay, and that's the other thing. Yes, are they all chasing virality? Oh Is definitely that why all these yes. commercials are so I, I think they're weird. still okay. yeah I mean I don't I don't know if they're the 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 originators of this but they're all chasing that man your man can smell like old spice juice. They desperately want yes. that. Oh god, they're so mm. thirsty for it. <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't be? I yeah. mean, have you seen That's him? Ugh, the old spice man. <laughs> he can take me any day. <laughs> <laughs> so so they're all thirsty for that. However, like yeah, it's not hitting. Like that ha- that ad didn't hit. Um, the only one that made an impression on me was, of course, as you said, insert nineties movie here. Um, before it was the eighties mm-hmm. movie. Um- <laughs> And then th- there was a Walmart ad that for the last like two years, they've just done it with like every movie, like you know every car pulls in the parking lot. it's the back mm-hmm. to the future car, it's the jeep G- it's the jeep from Jurassic park it's x x car which from x. I'm extremely impressed that they're able to get i mean they're a pretty powerful company. I can see them kind of unifying all the major conglomerates to be like, "Hey, just give us this for like five seconds. it'll be fine. Oh, you're amazed but I' they, they can afford to license all this all these properties and and use them I guess. I I, yes. I, that's what I'm saying, Greg. Thank you. Okay. But, you know, people are so, they're so tight with their intellect. That's all they have now. They're like, what do we got? Hansel and Gretel. Okay, let's yeah, do that. I... Fuck. <laughs> no, people aren't tight at all. What are you talking about? They'll, again, they reboot a Spider-Man movie every, like, three years. Like, they don't give a crap. They, anything to pull a buck in, they'll use it. Mm-hmm. I guess um, that's. I'm true. sure they. Again, they've been talking about remaking Indiana Jones with like Bradley Cooper and Chris Pratt and God knows who else. <laughs> um, Wait, really? Yeah. I haven't heard any of this. Oh yeah, always. Greg, well, it's you're always, a Hollywood it's insider. In exactly. I know. It's always in the. Oh. It's always in the back of the Lucasfilm and Disney. Now in the Disney vault, but before that, it was Paramount. Mm-hmm. Um, God, who knows what Paramount's going to do with what what they're going to drudge up? But anyway, to to your point, the only one that made an impression on me was the Groundhog Day ad, where they did get Bo Murray back. They did get beloved mm-hmm. character actor Stephen Tobolowsky back, <laughs> and mm-hmm. the only. He actually like now enjoys Ground Dog Day because wow there's a brand new product from Jeep. Um the, <laughs> the the new uh Jeep Wrangler pickup truck or whatever. To something to I well, you love this commercial because you just love Jeeps in general. I, You're a Jeep that's guy. Fair. That's fair, yeah. yeah. I, I feigned. It's called the Jeep Gladiator, but I didn't want to give them free... <laughs> <laughs> you did not want to give them free publicity, no, not at all. And also, you can't speak to a, f- a a proper car that you haven't driven yet. So obviously, you don't want to like speak out of turn. No, it could be the worst car imaginable. After I... all, it is a Jeep. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ask Consumer Reports, and and, and they'll t- they'll tell you. <laughs> but anyway, that's the only one that made an impression. I, th- I think a pretty lackluster uh t- crop of commercials this year for what was a pretty entertaining game. But in any event, you didn't really miss anything. I mean, I caught um, the last third, or the third quarter, and it was tied 10-10, and that's when the game kind of started to get interesting, right? Well, it didn't get interesting, really interesting, until the fourth quarter, because, John, if you recall a few years ago, it looked like the Patriots were down and out. Um, However, Mm -hmm. as always, yes, under the the, uh, offensive coordination of one Kyle Shanahan, uh, they did not run (laughs) the ball, they did not kill any clock, and the Patriots were allowed to come back fast forward mm. <laughs> uh four years later Kyle Shanahan is now at the helm of the uh San Francisco 49ers he's ahead by 10 points all he has to do is run out the clock and and keep his plays moving and what happened in the fourth quarter is that the Chiefs being the uh, the exemplary team that they are uh go mm. ahead uh score the final 21 points of the game and Kyle Kyle Shanahan uh son of a two-time Super Bowl winning quarterback uh chokes again and that's really mm. the story this year um so if you do I mean, want, if you did really want to keep up on your water cooler talk, I mean, if you did want mm-hmm. to be like, oh, that Forty ers coach, that's that's the real hot take you should have had this year. So okay, all right. Yeah, but is it really him? Can we really blame him or the higher ups at the NFL being like, let's keep this game interesting? Because there always, <laughs> you know, there's always the accusation of the fix. John, you remember last year's <laughs> Super No, you remember last year's Super It doesn't matter, like how boring or dull the game is. Was there a Super Bowl last year? I don't even remember. (laughs) Exactly. So it doesn't matter how terrible the product is on the field. I mean, they still have this this brilliant marketing machine that can really get the juice going. Um, That that reminds me of the most execrable ad, I thought, um, to open the Super Bowl and to celebrate 100 seasons of the NFL. um, A young kid... Uh, is playing backyard football, but then um, they say take it to the house. And he instead of running all the way to the end zone, he runs through all the NFL's like favorite cities, Chicago. He runs past all these uh, <laughs> legends of the game and current superstars, um, and and it's exciting music and all the players are cheering him on. But Johnny stops and takes a moment as he runs uh, outside uh, uh, the. Uh, Cardinal Stadium in Glendale, Arizona. He stops and and tearfully pays respects to one Pat Tillman, a guy they a guy who was anti-war, killed by friendly fire, and the and the U.S. government tried to cover it up because he was a former NFL player. He he retired from the mm. NFL to be an Army Ranger after 9/11, and the the NFL has used him as a troop, um, as to beat basically the a stalwart troop, even though um, all his family like said he was an atheist. He did not believe he did not believe in the war. <laughs> Uh, before his death <laughs> we have correspondences that have confirmed that and so mm-hmm. yeah it's a, and of course he was killed by his own troops in a complicated war um, that um, the america has no business fighting so that was the most yeah. um exe- that, that got my blood boiling <laughs> that was the most execrable mm. moment of the night for me well i'm it's a pity i missed it because as i assume uh, this this dream like sequence where the kid is running through all the cities. It turns out this is just a result of all the brain damage he's received after years of playing in the NFL. <laughs> much like you know his hero Junior Seau. Correct? Am I wrong right. about that? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. I, um, I'm glad you mentioned Junior Seau because they're another family. that says keep keep your damn uh, keep our our dad and <laughs> beloved husband's name out of your out of your stupid NFL for t- basically mm-hmm. killing our our beloved family member. Um, the Til- the Tillmans have said as much, but. Yeah, what are they going to do next year when all these cities inevitably switch when the taxpayers won't fork over the money for new stadiums? Like, who knows? They might have a whole new round of 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 cities. That uh, they'll have to they'll bring in. it to London. It'll be part of the breakfast uh, bre- <laughs> <There> breakfast <laughs> Brexit deal. They'll bring a team to London, and then awesome. it'll be like oh, it's like NFL, just as, as glorious as kippers and baked beans in the morning. <laughs> That's that's my uh that's my Suffolk accent, uh in case anybody was wondering. Mm. That's what everybody from Suffolk uh talks like. Suffolk love. Yeah. No, John, no John, it's not Suff it's not Suffolk, it's Suffolk. Um but pronoun- um. but spelt Southwark. That's mm, that's it. how I prove my, my London bona fides, yeah. Got it. I mean, we are Bostonians, so we're we're quite familiar. Oh, that was the other most. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was the other. I've already I've already tweeted about this, but that's the the other ad that got my blood boiling. Is um, I don't know, at around uh, 11 p.m. on a Friday night, uh, the ad company behind Hyundai it was like, well, we've got a we've got an app called Smart Park. What if it was like Bostonians talking about it, and they couldn't get real Bostonians? They had Bostonians like you and I, John Krasinski, uh, uh, Chris Evans, <laughs> Rachel Drash, who's not even from Boston. <laughs> Oh come on, <laughs> Rachel Drash needs the work. Come She's a single mom. <laughs> I guess that's fair. All right, I'll give it up for her. But yeah, this, it was offensive. All right, our culture is not your costume, you fucking jag-off, off. All right, get that, get out of here. <laughs> now, if it were Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, exactly. then maybe. Yeah, genuine. Not they're to... they're genuine. The the exactly. real article. Exactly. I mean, a lot of famous celebrities are from Boston. You got a uh, Steve Carell. I know this because Boston dot com is always looking for the local angle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But Steve Carell, well, I don't know if Steve north. Carell... Yeah, he's from, like, Concord or something like that. He's way the hell out there. Oh, yeah, he's so, way north. Yeah, he's not mm-hmm. from yeah, Boston yeah, yeah. proper. But he's, he's, he's a Massachusetts native, guys. Come on, I know, I know. It's fine. Uh, enough enough of the Super Bowl. I'm tired of the Super Bowl. Enough yeah. of that. Let's talk about some other kind of large cultural uh, institution. Let's talk about the movies. That's true. Yeah. Um, we'll be talking about the Oscars, which are coming out the following week. Very thoughtful of them um, to kind of compress this time um, so we can move on <laughs> with our lives. <laughs> Well, it's also everyone's made the point that January feels like eight years' worth of history crammed into one month. So, yeah. And um, it's it was also very sweet of them to honor Black History Month um, by nominating so many uh, <laughs> people of color. Oh, wait. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> <laughs> Tugging collar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we'll talk about uh, Oscar nominations later, huh? Well we'll, yes. well, we'll save that for later today. Instead, we're going to talk about uh, a piece of Oscar's past. Um, John, mm-hmm. you wanted to do not just Oscar movies, but also musicals. Yes! <laughs> and boy, are we <laughs> off to a roaring start. We are starting <laughs> off a, a musical Oscar-themed month by looking at a, a Best Picture winner back from 1951. It's the Gene Kelling starring uh, George Gershwin scored an American in Paris.
1: This is Paris, and I'm an American who lives here. My name Jerry Mulligan and I'm an XGI. gi In 1945, when the army told me to find my own job, I stayed on. And I'll tell you why. I'm a painter. All my life, that's all I've ever wanted to do. And for a painter, the mecca of the world for study, for inspiration, and for living, is here on this star called Paris. Just look at it. No wonder so many artists have come here and called it home. Brother, if you can't paint in Paris, you better give up and marry the boss's daughter. We're on the left bank now. That's where I'm billeted. Here's my street. The past couple of years, I've gotten to know practically everyone on the block. And a nicer bunch you'll never meet. Back home, everyone said I didn't have any talent. They might be saying the same thing over here, but it sounds better in French. I live upstairs. No, no, no. Not there. One flight up.
0: Um, I'm, I put out two factoids because, uh, just full disclosure, you and I try to research uh, these movies as much as we can. I didn't have a lot of time to do that, and also I was thinking during the movie, like I would just make up, uh, I would just make up phony facts uh, about the movie, <laughs> okay. as, as throughout our discussion. So anyway, um, an American of Paris is really an outlier in Hitchcock's filmography. Um, he did this between Rope and Rear Window, um, and it's not a, a psychological thriller like those two. It's it's a lighthearted musical really unexpected for him um, <laughs> and Gene Kelly also a former NFL star uh, not a lot of people know that um. <laughs> yes as we all know an American in Paris is a sci-fi epic taking place in the year 2525 oh come on a Neil they got be have, a boot, have their boot heel yeah <laughs> No, John. Make the facts plausible so that I don't, I don't know uh, confused elderly people can be like. I I remember watching Hitch, Hitchcock's *An American Affair*. It's like the Mandela effect. There you go. Yes. yes. <laughs> I didn't think but I yes. didn't think George Kelly. It's uh, George, George Kelly. I didn't think Gene Kelly should have hung him up from the Chicago Bears in '48. But boy, could he dance! <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, we're already way the the heck off topic, yeah. Exactly. So, yes, we we picked this movie because A, it is a musical, and B, it did win Best Picture. But it is kind of an outlier because it's it's kind of a jukebox musical. Um, The music was originally written and uh, composed by uh, the brothers uh, George Gershwin and Ira Gershwin. Mm -hmm. And so they weren't actually made to be part of a musical, which obviously hampers it quite a bit. Also... The title of the picture and the kind of big finale come from a 20-minute tone poem that George Gershwin composed, which um, I didn't, also, I didn't really look into this. I don't think there's an actual story to it. Again, it's just, it's it's a tone piece. It's a, it's a poem. It's meant to be more of a mood and... So I don't really know what the inspiration was besides, hey, Gene Kelly likes to dance and we can make just a shit ton of money, yeah. 1950s <laughs> piles of money, <laughs> yep. doing this movie. Yeah, and I'm glad at least you could appreciate it from that standpoint. I had no idea. I You're much more steeped in classical music than I am. I had no idea that all the music was were original pieces by George Kershwin written and recorded some, what, 30, 40, 50 years earlier or so. Is that right? Yes. He. Uh, he. Yeah. He was prolific in the 1920s, and unfortunately, George Gershwin died. I think even before they. He. he they hit the 1930s. He had a brain tumor, so he died at very young, like oh, okay. 32. Yeah. So it was as a. Uh, I think uh, his brother Ira though lived on, and he was one of the major creative forces behind this piece. So. All right. So that maybe that was the original draw or something. Um, other than that, it was Gene Kelly, and there i'm gonna say it again (laughs) about a musical not enough dancing all right i i paid i was expecting just a fun (laughs) lark on the level of singing in the rain a a movie that you and i or i made you watch the first time it's one of my favorite musicals a genre that i do not love um but that's one of my favorites because it's Mm -hmm. it's it's uh, Super energetic and a little bit snarky, and it has a real like uh, joie de vivre about it, and all of that is missing Mm. in an American in Paris. (laughs) For some reason, I was so Mm. disappointed. With how little Gene Kelly actually dances, how little story there is, and until you get to that long, as you said, that long tone poem, which is set around a, a ballet on the on these really kind of ersatz sets, uh, completely different from when they shot on location in Paris, I I was I was totally out the door. I was like, okay, see you later, y'all, <laughs> au revoir, as they say. <laughs> okay. Uh, First of all, yes. <laughs> yes. Read yeah, a Darje, as they say in Paris. Shall. Anyway, um, I'm glad we record this because I just want mm. this on the record permanently, forever. Greg is complaining that there's not enough story in this picture. I'm like singing. In the it Rain, does have which story. Just, it oh does. My gosh, gangbusters! <laughs> Did Christopher Nolan write this? Goodness gracious! <laughs> yes, there are twists and turns about. Nonlinear structure. Okay, don't 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 come toe to toe with me. All right, <laughs> I will I will plow your ass. <laughs> you try to challenge me on this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Anywho. Phrasing. Anywho. Um, I, I, we watched, yes, uh, Singing in the Rain was one of the earliest episodes we did of this podcast, and I did not particularly care for it, because I thought it was very light on story, light on theme, and you're right, too much dancing, not enough music. And... Like singing in the rain. this uh, movie features music that wasn't written specifically for the story. So it feels very shooed in. and it doesn't really match the tone of the movie or anything It's kind of like thematically saying as if it's trying to say anything thematically at all. Um, on the one hand, on the other hand, though, I do appreciate this movie more because, Man. a, it is music of George Gershwin. Which I do love, and then B, it saves the 20 minutes uh, wordless <laughs> dance ballet for the end, as opposed to sticking it right in the middle. Like I like yeah, singing cause he's the gotta rain dance because he's got to dance, and this he movie actually has dances. Two dream sequences <laughs> as opposed to one. Nuts to Gene Kelly and his. Dance movie. Oh, I can't. I can't lie. Gene <laughs> Kelly is so handsome. I mean, that's that's the highest praise I can give this movie. Is Gene yeah. Kelly is is quite swarthy, even though again the character makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> He's uh, playing Jerry Mulligan, who was a a former GI who fits like a glove in Paris. Jerry Mulligan from New Jersey. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yes, in New Jersey. A workaday guy who relocates to Paris yes. after the war to become yeah. a painter. This makes so much sense. <laughs> Especially yeah. given <laughs> that's his best talent, right? No, he yeah. sings and dances so he lives too. On La <laughs> and, uh, lives on the Rue Gauche and lives with uh, two other. Well, no, he 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 he's neighbors with another American expat who's a pianist. Uh, he doesn't really factor in the story at all. And then they have another friend. No, he does not. <laughs> and then they have a friend who is who they have a friend uh, a Frenchman who is a friend of the concert pianist. And then basically, mm-hmm. th- basically the story is that this Frenchman and Jerry Mulligan pine for the same woman, and that's about it. Yes. And also, uh, that's the whole story. Yeah, and it's possible that. Uh, Jerry Mulligan might have a, a just a, this heartless, vile, rich harridan who wants to give him money and and sex. <laughs> the movie should be called uh, D- Gene Kelly has no game. <laughs> Yeah, so he's he's this painter, and he he just happens upon this fucking wealthy ass and very attractive sugar mama, who's like, "I'll set you yeah. up, I'll help your painting career." And he's like, "Oh, jeez, look what I have to put up with." It's like, "Come on, dude." Exactly. Yeah. So here's here's problem like problem one of a million in this movie <laughs> is that uh, Jerry Mulligan, in spite of like. You could, i could think of no worse person that would fit in the culture of paris one he doesn't fit in like two he's such a, he's a crab like not only <laughs> before he even meets this woman a student a student an american student comes by and it's like i would like to discuss your painting and he says like get out of here i don't need your damn critiques you dumb student i actually paint for a living even though my techniques and paintings are terrible <laughs> <laughs> I'm not looking for constructive criticism or to improve. That is actually one of the things I found interesting about the movie, and I wish it explored more is like artists as like workday schlubs, because you That's brought right. up you brought up the fact that um, Adam Cook, his neighbor, played by uh, Oscar uh, Levent, Oscar Levant. like, Hmm. he's my favorite character in the whole movie because he's just consistently over it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, absolutely. We're introduced to him uh, in the opening kind of scene where there's, like, voiceover, and we're following a character who turns out not to be the one giving the voiceover. And so we see this, like, handsome Frenchman who's, like, looking at himself in the mirror. No, that's not me. He's way too happy. And (laughs) he's just, like, he's just kind of a smarmy asshole the whole movie. Because, again, he has nothing else to do in the story. Yeah, that's about the only clever touch in the movie. The opening is like, um, there's narration from all our main characters, and then it focuses on a on a single one, and he says, no, that's not me. And, then, um, you know, kind of instead shows the, the, the kind of shlubbiness and drabbiness of their lives. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's a neat little clever touch. But again, it's a musical, and I don't feel like we get the first opening number until about 10 minutes in or so. And it's and it's a guy uh, like extolling all the virtues of this beautiful of his beautiful new ingenue, and um, how she's everything, and she and she plays that out by via this um, kind of virtuosic ballet dancing. Yes, she uh, she ends up, and I, I gotta give credit for like the costume design, even though the editing's not quite up to snuff. But um, <laughs> yeah. they go through like five different scenes where she does a f- different dance and a different costume and a very different like set. And um, that's the other problem with this movie is the fact that nothing they do. Helps, but make it look like an MGM backlot. Like the opening. Yeah, shot, even if they shoot on location in Paris, it still looks like like phony somehow. Well, it's like that's the. It's only the opening shot where they where they oh, actually okay. located to Paris, and none of the stars are actually there, and nothing's actually happening. And then for the rest of the <laughs> movie, it's just like you might as well have shot it in a bunker or a warehouse. Like it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs>
1: J'ai de la musique, j'ai pas chérie, who could ask for anything more? J'ai des daisies, in green pastures, j'ai ma pas chérie, who could ask for anything more? Old man trouble, I won't mind him, you won't find him hanging round my door. Company, some at Oh, my God. exactly so the, the,
0: Erzat's production design uh, out, out of the way mm-hmm. um like not only does that look phony but then like following this number we have a we have another number where um this french singer and jerry mulligan have a little duet Mm-hmm. And that was the other th- more interesting movie in my head. Is if like what if these were like lovers who are now yes. like, gay y uh, literally gay Because they literally just meet and they're like, "Hey, let's do a duet together." <laughs> and once pre- and Jen Kelly's pretending to be the girl, like, mm. yeah, <laughs> you could take so many stills of this movie, like just the two of them, like smiling each other, smiling at each other, and batting each other's eyes. And you think, like, what is their relationship? <laughs> what is
1: <laughs> What's that? Would have been a way more. Steel, huh? Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, way better movie, but <laughs> we can't review the movie we wanted. We have to review the movie we have. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and so the and the movie we have, uh, where it goes from here is that so Jerry Mulligan does get introduced to this uh, th- this rich heiress who's willing to uh, patronize him and his crappy art, <laughs> and um, he he's initially resistant, but he goes along with it, and they have a night out, but then th- Jerry, while he's out with this beautiful, again, admittedly attractive. A wealthy woman who wants to support his art, and seemingly genuinely. It's not like she has other some other ulterior motive or anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. At one point, we do get a little bit of implication. There is, like, this there is this, like, instance where you get a little bit of backstory implying that she's done this before, like, three other times, and it, like, never works out, okay. but yeah, she's, like, this... Th-. But again, yeah, we don't get any sense that she has ulterior motives or what her actual long-term goal is with these guys. It's just, I'm going to support local artists, I guess. And just so happens <laughs> yeah. that they're all Americans, too. It's, like, it's called An American in Paris. Uh, there's multiple Americans in the gay Paris, let me tell you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, I mean... That- that's neither here nor there. It's never properly explained. But uh, basically, uh, a young woman catches Jerry's eye while he's out with another woman, and then he mm-hmm. starts eavesdropping and tries to like figure his way in. And I'm glad you mentioned the costume design earlier because it does fit with those like little vignettes. I had no idea that this was the same woman we saw dancing like 20 minutes earlier. <laughs> that doesn't help. Yeah. Like maybe they could have like put it in like a like a kaleidoscope or something like that. <laughs> like um, or. Or something else, like, you know how in movies, like, the music swells, or things go into soft focus? Like, West Side Story, like, one of the scenes I actually like in that movie, a movie I don't like very much. No. But, um... Again, Greg is way wrong. Uh, Maria and our hero, like, first see each other across the dance hall. Like, mm. it's it's wonderfully done. This, is just like, hey, like, she's, like, sitting in the background, he's like, get a load <laughs> of that girl over there, because everything's exactly. kind of shot wide. And also, like, yeah. it's that old-fashioned, like, you know, this used to play as charming, but he's just an asshole. He just like continually pursues her, no matter how many times she says no. Yeah, and like, yeah, I guess at the time, and if you look like Gene Kelly, you can kind of get away with that. But it's like, it, there's no part of that nowadays that just doesn't come off as creepy. Well, that, yeah, that he's he's very insistent. He he won't let up in in courting her. And also, she doesn't have the agency, or maybe the, the the her English isn't good enough. I don't know, but she just can't explain. Like, I'm already seeing somebody, <laughs> or, or we're engaged to be married. So that that's another issue there. Uh, I can lay it at the feet of director uh, Vincent Minnelli. This is actually the second Vincent Minnelli joint we've looked at, other than the the similarly terrible Meet Me in St. Louis. <laughs> yes, um, that, is a bad, that bad one only set it interesting. Yeah, that one had at least had an interesting storyline between, like, I don't know, kids screaming I hate you over <laughs> Halloween or getting hit by trolleys stuff. <laughs> None of that happens here. Um, again, everything's shot in the wide. I can only presume that's because he, he checked his watch and it's like, oh, it's 4 p.m. I've got, like, three other movies to shoot this <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> that is part of the trivia is the fact that, yes, Gene Kelly occasionally would take over directing duties, especially for the dance numbers, um, which I guess kind of makes sense. But it also, yes, it, it does add to the feel of this movie being like uh, quite bland, <laughs> um, quite uncreative. Yeah. <laughs> because again, like what what is the story trying to say? The only kind of like thematic resonance of the story at all is the fact that we've got two star-crossed lovers who are kind of promised to somebody else. But that's like the only theme of the movie. And yes, eventually they get together because both the other ones kind of let him go. It's like, what's the point? (laughs) Like, uh... I yeah. Well, John, I'm glad we record this podcast so that I can I can own you with logic. Oh yes, damn it! Oh the I forgot. Vax don't care about my feelings. Damn it! (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But John, how many times have you said, I can't count, I can't recall off the top of my head, but you've always said, Greg, musicals are not about uh, the story. They're about the numbers. They're about the feel." I've never said specifically that it was never about the story. It's just you always complain that the musical numbers are superfluous, and I'm telling you that they're not, except in this specific okay. case. Well, yes, they are completely superfluous and dumb. <laughs> <laughs> well, except, for, except for one. I'll, I'll give a credit for one. The one musical number I did like is I've Got Rhythm. Yes. And that's when uh, Gene Kelly gets crowded around by all these kids. And it's, it's a song, and he's teaching them... English, like basic English, with the dance moves that he's doing and with the lyrics of the song. Mm-hmm. And that's like, I'm f- like, finally, okay, it's finally living up to the title, an American in Paris. Like, there's some cross culture here. Mm-hmm. The rest of the time, it isn't really. I mean, it's just like the, there's an opening montage of, like, hey, here's the Louvre, here's the obelisk, <laughs> here's, uh, here's the Arc de Triomphe, and then that's about it. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Wonderful, she should care for me. Soft eyes, smart eyes, I love to see.
0: Yeah, there's really no like I said like the problem with this movie is the fact that it's called an American in Paris, but really all we do is follow a bunch of Americans living in Paris, <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> there's no sense of like. Uh, Cross cultural disagreements or anything like that. It's like, no, this is the way things are done here. This is the way things are done. I mean, if anything, they should have had like a menage à trois or something. They should have, you know, just been free love all of (laughs) them. Oh, that would have been awesome. (laughs) That would have been great. That would have made this the greatest movie of all time. (laughs) Instead, we have another uh, number steeped in psychology. Uh, at one point, uh the pianist, um, presumably at a um he's he's laid up in bed after a long day, uh, drinking and not mm-hmm. doing anything. <laughs> um oh no, I think he is practicing, but anyway, showing off all the great technical achievements of nineteen fifty one cinematography. Uh he envisions a number, like an orchestral number in which he's he's basically playing every part. He's yes. the conductor, he's the concert pianist, uh he does the timpani drums, all that. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I don't know if that was just a, a way to feed the actor's ego that like, hey, look, look at how multi-talented I am in the, in the musical sphere. Or they did just want to show off like, hey, we finally figured out how you can have two actors in the same frame or something. Um, I think it's definitely more of the latter because okay. A, this movie is nothing but empty spectacle. And then B, yeah. also that actor, uh, I've read a little bit more about him. He actually, he didn't really like being an actor. He was a concert pianist first and foremost. And so you'll look at like his IMDb credits; they definitely kind of decline a lot in his later years because I think he did prefer being a a, a piano player and a composer instead of actually being an actor. And I think you can kind of, I think he kind of gives that to the role a little bit because it's like, why am I here? Like you know, like (laughs) he he gives that great energy that I love—the fact that he's just (laughs) completely over it. Yeah, and I can't remember specific. It's also an excuse to include more Gershwin music in there. I can't remember what piece that's supposed to. I think it might be the piano concerto that. Gershwin wrote, but yeah, it's just an excuse to for him to show off his virtuosity. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe not as a conductor, <laughs> definitely not as a yeah. <laughs> as a tippity. I thought he was a good. He was a fine conductor. I thought. I thought it he was, was swooping so low. What was that? <laughs> that's, that's his posture. He, I don't know. Everybody had like fourteen cigarettes <laughs> by by eight a.m. or something. There so. you go. <laughs> by the way, that guy uh, Oscar, he also wrote um, "Blame It on My Youth." That's what he's also known uh... for. You don't know okay. that song? I, Blame it on my... It's a jazz standard. Ugh. I'm surrounded by <laughs> Philistines. Jimmy Cricket. <sighs> well, John, if, if we're just going to show our ass and <laughs> just be boorish Americans, let's get to that final ballet. Huh? Yes, the final ballet. So, yeah. Which, again, I'm grateful that it's should. at the end instead of right in the middle like it was in uh, Singing in the Rain. So. <laughs> yeah, and... I don't know. Let's give credit. Um, if you appreciate another Oscar-winning movie, La La Land, mm-hmm. uh, basically uh, its director admits that he basically cribbed the ending from that movie from this. Mm-hmm. Um, and now at least he had the balls to have a uh, have a bit of a downer ending where they don't wind up together. <laughs> but this has again very a very now it's a extremely phony set. It's like he's dancing in a Toulouse-Lautrec uh, uh, lithograph or something like that. Mm-hmm. And um with a with a fountain billowing uh dry ice instead of water. Yep. yep, and um the the young actress or she gets to um show off her virtuosic ballerina skills. Um the the story as as far as I could tell is um yeah, Gene Kelly comes in and then he's accosted by four gay soldiers and they go for a day on the town. <laughs> I don't know. They lift gay isn't happy, point. I was, right? Gay isn't happy. Come yeah, on, they lift him up at one point. I'm assuming. I'm assuming that's what that's what happens uh, between guys in a bedroom of certain persuasion. <laughs> but um, right? Am I wrong or whatever? Um, yes, like steam escaping. Yeah. But anyway, they put on they put on these uh, like a, like a straw hats and g- walk around in canes, and there's some soldiers marching in the street, and it's all like kind of wonderfully done in, in color and. And I, I think yes. If you are just there for the spectacle, I think that's great. But at least like, if if you're going to deride the gotta dance like fifteen similar fifteen minute scene from uh, Singing in the Rain, at least that had a story to it. <laughs> it was a guy coming to the big city and wanted to make his way here. Yeah, but if that story not sure. had nothing to do with anything else in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> this at least like oh it shows that they're really in love and they really belong together like that's at least has a little more thematic underpinning to it than the dream sequence in singing the rain which is completely out of left field okay I don't know. I guess props for trying to combine different uh, methods of dance because there's ballet, there's tap, there's mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, a lot of choreography going on. I, I guess it's it, uh, <laughs> uh, credit credit where it's due. The question mark? I don't I don't know. It did it didn't do anything for me, and it really diminished in my mind because uh, we watched another movie, Roman Holiday, which I think was released like the exact same year. Yeah, I think the Roman same Hop- idea yeah. of like kind of cross culture Americans in this. Uh, yeah, in this exciting, beautiful, but also strange European city, mm-hmm. they want to be together, but they can't be together. Oh, yeah, and at least that movie had the balls to say, like, no, these people aren't going to wind up together. But mm-hmm. after this long number, like um, Gene Kelly looks forlorn, and then oh, she comes back, and the and presumably, <laughs> presumably the uh, the famed singer was just like, yeah, sure, go ahead, honey, go go meet this, uh, go uh, go bang my best friend, <laughs> yeah, uh, go, go live your life with him. <laughs> best friend again, they just met. <laughs> I, know, I mean, yeah. but they could be best friends. We don't know what their whole relationship is, do we? Mm, I know. Again, just look at any still from the movie, where they're flashing their pearly whites at each other and batting their eyelashes. Mm-hmm. So in conclusion, American in Paris, yeah, I didn't, not I, I didn't like it. No, not great. Not great. <laughs> um, I liked it maybe a little bit more than Singing in the Rain, but that's not saying much, because I did not like Singing in the Rain. So, um, yeah, it's fine. So, So what's your overall impression of Gene Kelly now, John? I mean... Again, I mean, virtuosic I can't, dancer. I can't deny that he's a very extremely talented guy. I just wish his his services were put to better use, to more interesting movies. But I guess if you're a song and dance man, then song and dance is what you shall do. And I, I mean, is it is it asking too much that I'm like, but where's the art? Where's like, <laughs> where's the challenging notions that a tap dancer can give you? Like, am I asking too much here? Am I the asshole? I think so. I think. <laughs> Thank you. I because I think. As somebody who doesn't appreciate musicals, I think Gene Kelly's skill in dancing and, to some extent, uh, singing is enough. Mm. Like, that, it wows me. Um, and that's why I'm, I'm interested to see, like, just in those... Uh, let's let's call it a six-minute chunk like of, <laughs> of, of dancing. It's, yeah, it's right. You're right. When it does go on for about 15 minutes and, and doesn't contribute enough to the story, uh, th- that's when I'm less compelled. Yeah. But, like... It, if we could just have him doing numbers, that'd be great. Um, but I feel like there's enough supporting him in "Singing in the Rain." Um, I do like that a little bit of the uh, more sarcastic spirit behind it. Um, there's far more energy behind it than "American in Paris." So I don't know. Like we're, I think I think we're gonna have to go on a, another long hiatus with Mr. Gene Kelly. No. We're not gonna be watching uh, "Hello, Dolly!" anytime soon. <laughs> hello dolly wasn't even nominated oh wait won three oscars i mean it's hard to miss but i mean yeah i guess we're just gonna have to take another break i don't think he appeared on camera then either oh okay yeah again that could be another fact i'm just making up um yeah gene kelly the star of hello dolly this story, uh a, a wonderful hollywood hit the last of the giant musicals yes um even though it made money and won one best picture that year it won uh, so much money so much money yeah and they were like roadshow musicals. They'll be a thing forever. Yeah. Uh, good times, and we've got three more weeks of this, folks. <laughs> it's gonna be great. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm looking for. I'm looking forward to what we have on the slate. Yes. Um In the same way. No, oh, I'm not gonna lie. I'm not really looking forward to the Oscars this year. No. Um, normally, you and I do uh, go long on Oscar predictions, but I don't know. We barely have the energy to like muster up. Again, this seems like another very predictable year. If you are filling out a ballot, here, here we go on acting nominations. It's gonna be Laura Dern in Marriage Story, mm-hmm. uh, Brad Pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, presumably Renee Zellweger and Judy, and then Joaquin Phoenix for Joker. Yeah. Here's the thing. I will argue. I don't think. It's well. Best Picture is always kind of a, a toss up. Sometimes the the one you expect doesn't always win. But the thing is, yeah. like you look at the slate, it's like no winner is actually not going to be disappointing. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's the thing about the Oscars. It's like it appeals the really like middle brow taste, and yeah, it because of that, it doesn't. It's not like we can have our excitement. That's that's the one thing I would find most exciting, and that's why I'm not going to predict it will happen. Is if. Um, Sam Mendes takes home Best Director, which I presume he will, mm-hmm. but then Parasite wins Best Picture. Yes. I think, I think that it would, would be like the, a moonlight situation, you know? Yes. Yeah. yeah, that would be that would be the best outcome. However, I don't think I've literally picked the correct Best Picture winner this entire decade. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say 1917 is probably just going to sweep it. So. Okay. Yeah, hoping that uh, Parasite uh, wins it all. But. All right. Just because uh, Parasite's a... Uh, well, I haven't seen 1917 yet. I'm going to see it tomorrow. But um, I, I did like Parasite. Um, I got to connect with my mother-in-law over it, which is very sweet of her. And so, um... <laughs> The only Best Picture winner I will accept is Little Women. Because Amy yeah. Pascal <laughs> needs some love, folks. Come on, Amy Pascal. Who's, who's had it any worse Absolutely. than her? Absolutely. <laughs> <Yeah, no. laughs> She's. I think that the amount of derision she receives, her and Kathleen Kennedy, oddly enough, uh, the amount of derision that they receive, only because they are taking uh, the properties of. Uh, let's 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 be honest here. Uh, Shut in nerds. Um, yeah, Greg. That's too probably the only reason. These. There's probably nothing yeah. else that makes them, you know, large targets for bullies. I wonder. I wonder yeah. if there's any other yeah. uh, contributing factor. Hmm. Anyway. <laughs> That's your lot for Oscar fictions. I'm sorry, folks. Yeah. But, um, let's get to something. Let's let's talk about some of that middle brow entertainment. Um, it's how we conclude every episode with a little recommendation section that we call Spotlight.
1: Spotlight. 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 Spotlight.
0: Spotlight. It's time, Robbie. It's time. Spotlight. Spotlight. Dun, dun, dun. And a little shuffle off to Buffalo. <laughs> shuffle ball. <laughs> See, Greg, here, you like the you here. like the musical. You like the you've got the you've got the chops. Look at you. I got the. <laughs> no, I like. I like certain aspects of musicals. <laughs> um, it's, I wish the whole could be better. Um, the same could be said, I, I caught up on a Best Picture nominee. It won't win, mm-hmm. um, but I, I thought I'd see it anyway because it's widely available right now on Netflix. I had uh, two hours away from my, my uh, fiancé, and so I finally got up the cojones to watch Marriage Story. Mm, you're a braver um, man than I. It's been sitting in my <laughs> queue, ready to go, and yeah. I'm just like, Ugh. Now, granted... We, we know that even though it is a, it's a relatable experience to a lot of people, it's not really about necessarily relatable people. Again, I believe one of them is a MacArthur Genius Grant winner. Yeah, that's the thing. That's what I was going to instill in you some confidence, John. I don't think it'll tear apart anything in your relationship unless you win a MacArthur Genius Grant and it becomes a, 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 a cudgel in your divorce proceedings. I don't okay. think that's going to happen. Right. Yeah. Does she try to take it from him in the divorce? Is that what happens? I, well, yeah. Here's Okay, let me, let me first explain what Marriage Story is not. Okay. It is not a procedural on the divorce mm-hmm. on the divorce process, and yes, it does touch on a lot of the enervating things about it, like the fact that you cannot have you cannot even talk to the same like attorney. So if one sees some if one sees one attorney, you are somehow like barred from your your spouse or whatever. Somehow barred. It does touch on all that procedural nonsense, but that's not really what the story is about. Um, it is also not um kind of a a gripping, serious dark drama about this process. Um I, I saw it was shot in the one uh six six one ratio, which is the like standard European ratio for all these dramas. Yeah. But I w- I was raised I'm I'm raised on films of the Darb Dan brothers and Ken Loach and Yorka's <laughs> Kareda. This movie is not these, alright. This is not a searing dark drama. Instead what this is is the diary of a theater kid because mm-hmm. um, these are theater people and this is basically tying everything about the divorce process to performance mm-hmm. and and basically you're you're putting on a show for the courtroom first the the what i found the most interesting aspect and this is why laura dern will win is because the divorce lawyers are basically performers and the way they fight for their clients is like they they may be you know cordial with each other behind the scenes but they they Fight tooth and nail once they actually do get in the courtroom, and that's actually the best scene when uh, Ray Liotta and Laura Dern go at it, and that happens around the middle. But the the rest of the time, it it centers around these these really, I, I think unrelatable and and somewhat unlikable people. Mm-hmm. Maybe not unlikable is the word. It's not like it's not like I had to like adore them or something like that. I, there's one like really cringy line that I. Just despise the Noah Bombac wrote. Um, It's when it's when they come home and relieve the babysitter. The babysitter is like this awkward nerd, and she says, "You two are so attractive." Um, Again, like another like Bombacism that only exists (laughs) in his stupid little world. Yeah. It if you do just look at it as a prism of like okay like the The reason that they are actors and the reason they're given like a MacArthur Genius Grant or their pilot gets picked up for series or something, <laughs> is because um, they they've got to express themselves and so and it plays out in the divorce process and it's actually the the point of resolution too because. Um, the other scene that sticks out in my head is, is the way that Adam Driver gets through it, is, is through performance. Yeah. Um, there's one night when which um, the settlements are finally signed, and he goes out with his, um, his theater company after performance, and there's a mic set up. It's not quite karaoke, but you can get up and perform. And he um, sings um, a Siemens Songheim, a song from Company, I think, called "Being Alive." Greg, you don't need to tell me what "Being Alive" is from. Okay, oh, being, okay. Right, I can, right, I can, I can give you at least three bars of that song right now on the spot if you need right. me to. Ah. <laughs> I forgot who I was talking to. <laughs> Someone to hold you too close. <laughs> John, I think you got better pipes than Adam Driver, to be honest. But uh, that's what makes the performance really honest. All so right. Well, now I can die. Now I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, like... <laughs> that's all I've been waiting for my whole life. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's the thing. It that that moment feels really honest because Adam Driver is like not the most tremendous singer in the world. Mm-hmm. But he kind of like lays it all out in this like uh, one long like 3-minute shot of him just at the microphone. And so but the rest of the time it is like they they are like putting on airs and talking about like you know like um oh, what, uh, like a uh, Eisenstein said or something <laughs> like <laughs> about a certain technique. And yeah, like that's what makes the uh I think uh, that centerpiece scene when they're at the an empty apartment in Los Angeles and they have that, the stuff that's become uh, stuff of memes, <laughs> that one fight. Yes. It's like it it's an empty... Wall. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I I like that it's an empty apartment and it's like a white box theater instead of a black box theater. But it plays out like every like improv uh, uh, marriage argument you've ever seen. Well, it's like, um, I remember... It's funny you mentioned that because like I remember someone did post that. It's like, who set decorated this? It looks stupid. I'm like, isn't the point is the fact that she just moved out? Like, aren't they just moving around? Aren't they in transition no, yeah, right exactly. now? Isn't that yes, the whole point? <laughs> yes. That's that's the whole point. And the, I, I liked it because, again, the focus is on just them. Mm-hmm. You're not looking at the, the plant or whatever. And it's another key scene later it's talking about performance in that um, Adam Driver, we don't see um, Scarlett Johansson's character side of this, but Adam Driver has to basically be evaluated as his fitness for a parent um like a, a court ordered like uh, evaluator comes in and so he has to make it look like a home so he gets his he skypes with um his theater troopers uh, a set decorator and basically it's this montage of him putting together this apartment in los angeles because he the divorce process says like you have to live in los angeles if you want custody of your kids mm-hmm. so well that okay so that actually brings up a question i have about the movie and uh, I, yeah. critics are kind of divided they they most people say it's pretty even-handed, but it can't help but kind of be a little bit more on Charlie's side, uh, Adam Driver's character's side, because yeah. he is, uh, again, like Nolan Bombank wrote it, you know, he's obviously inspired by his own experience with divorce. It's like, it, yeah. he would naturally be a little bit more kind of, like, enamored with the male perspective than the female perspective. <laughs> I think yeah I feel like the the latter half does. Mm-hmm. Like I I guess I was like curious about that. Like I didn't want to look at it like a like scoring points like mm-hmm. oh how many lines does Scarlett Johansson have <laughs> versus Adam Driver or <laughs> and like count it off cuz that's that's not what the mov- that's not what a movie is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like it, it it towards the latter half it does focus on on Adam Driver and I think you're supposed to like pity him a little bit more. And it it's interesting cuz when you see it the first third it feels like is from her perspective and the last two acts are from his i mean obviously there's there's a bit of jumping around but i liked it when it was from her perspective and he seems like very cold and calculating and just focused on his work mm-hmm. and then um later it's like later when he does become a little bit more the f- the focus of the story you see him more as a like a father and um the kind of the, the man behind the mask <laughs> sort of so <laughs> That's what made the performance so compelling. And yeah, I think maybe um, Scarlett Johansson's character uh, does get short-tripped in that respect. Like, I feel like she didn't get the same amount of dimension Um, other than she gets gets an Oscar moment. She gets a monologue when she first meets with uh, her divorce attorney, played by Laura Dern. Um, She gets this long monologue talking about the history of their relationship. And also, like Laura Dern gets her own like Oscar moment, like <laughs> talking about again, it's ridiculous, it's overwritten, mm. it's bad, and um, yeah, I didn't particularly like the ending either because I, I won't spoil it for because you you still need to or you still should watch the movie, I think. Mm-hmm. But um, it's it's all about a, a character getting affirmation, and that's all. Noah no, a bomb back really wants oh. that's all his characters really want. <laughs> that's they all actors be seen. need. <laughs> yeah, and they want to be seen. Tell me, they I'm good. Be validated, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So I, uh, uh, granted, I'm a, I'm a cold-hearted sick, mm-hmm. and I couldn't I couldn't get over that. But I I think it's it's fine. It's again the middle-brow fare that uh, the Oscars just lap up. And um, yeah, despite my reservations uh, over Noah Baumbach and his oeuvre, <laughs> uh, I thought it was a okay. So thumbs up it sounds like yeah, yeah. Uh, t- let's give it a moderate thumbs up oh, okay. seven out of ten all right seven out of ten <laughs> yeah, a passing grade um yeah if i can get any more snarky uh, i like seven out of ten. Seven out of ten is the perfect yeah. rating seven out of ten is perfect yeah <laughs> I, d- I did find it interesting how this movie in parasite too like uh award winners uh this this season um are almost like militant in terms of like their meaning Mm. and their symbolism like you can't you can't get you can't get past it Mm. (laughs) it's like this movie's all about performance and parasite this movie's all about class (laughs) (laughs) have we made it more clear for you people i know yeah louder for the people in back as the as the meme goes Well sadly I don't have as much to say uh, for my spotlight pick this week. Um, I'm right now going through graduate school and I have a big photography project I need to do this semester and so I was researching uh, photographers and so one name kind of came up. I don't know if you're familiar with Elsa Dorfman Gregg. No, sorry. Again, I, I'm a complete philistine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You've mentioned it many times, and and you're right. Who who is Elsa Dorfman? Well, I don't feel bad because in my research, I discovered like, oh, this photographer. Yeah, everyone knows him. It's like, no, no one does. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> Elsa Dorfman. She is. Uh, she was basically a photographer who uh, pioneered a lot of Polaroid Polaroid photography. She's very famous for t- uh, her large uh, portraits, uh, twenty by. 24 inches, which is huge for a Polaroid, wow. um, and she is the subject of an Errol Morris documentary called The B-Side. Okay. And uh, I thought it was going to be called Polaroid, but there was already a horror movie called that, <laughs> <yes>. so... <laughs> no, so basically, Errol Morris, as you probably know, uh, the Polaroid company obviously was not long for this world, and eventually they had to no. kind of like shut down, and um, it's kind of, because of that, Elsa Dorfman, you know, she kind of lost what she had you know in her of war she could not you know make pictures anymore so this is kind of like mm. a documentary portrait of her life and her work um as a portrait photographer and um it's called the b-side because for people who wanted uh, her to take their picture and for people who kind of solicited her services because the film was so limited she could only do two so she literally gave them two shots and they got to pick which one they wanted And so she would keep the other one. She said, so I keep the B-side. So that's where the title comes from. Okay, Um, It's a very affable, like, she's just like a sweet woman. (laughs) Like, you know, it's not just the fact that, like, obviously, it's it's hard to gauge whether her photography in and of itself would have made her famous, because ultimately what makes her famous is her... um, friendship with alan ginsberg and uh she oh, okay. would photograph him a lot even though personality wise they're like the complete opposite <laughs> okay <laughs> She like um was he was he a curmudgeon like i don't know i, I haven't poured into the life of alan ginsberg well alan ginsberg <laughs> was a flower child he was all about the hippies man ah. he was like you know crazy and he would always get oh well, he was like a beat yeah, yeah like he was a beat. proto hippie yeah, yeah and the progenitor of the hippies I think. exactly and uh <laughs> it's just funny having elsa kind of regale or uh, his store uh, stories about him and them together. And he would often like be like, you should take pictures of me naked. Like, you know, like, like the wild nudie crazy of the sixties. And she's like, <laughs> and Errol Morris can't help but ask, What did you, what would your mother thinks? Like, Oh, I've never, never tell her. I'm a good Jewish girl from Malden. <laughs> you know, she's like, <laughs> she's just like a sweet, honest woman, you know, just, just a, mm-hmm. just the salt of the earth, just a sweet, honest person. So because of that, like, it's not quite, you know as incendiary as errol morris's other work but i think that's kind of what makes it a little mm-hmm. refreshing he basically just kind of like sets up cameras all over her studio and just kind of like cuts between the different shots uh, there's it's not that kind of like confrontational like looking down the barrel like you get from his other films so it's not an interrogation okay. shall we say <laughs> all right yeah but it's sweet it's a it's a fun little like uh maybe a little too kind of light on subject matter i think it barely clocks in at 90 minutes it's a pretty short subject okay. it's it, Barely you know, perfect as a, a long form documentary, so But it's available on Netflix right now. We are not sponsored by Netflix. You know, pay for Netflix no. if you want, or steal a password, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> just watch just watch the movies, huh? Yeah, come on. Watch just, watch some movies, damn it. Just step outside your comfort zone. Just, you know, try something new and enrich your life somehow mm-hmm. by uh by the magic of cinema. And Lord knows we don't watch enough documentaries, guys. Come on. No. I mean, as long as they're good ones. As long as they're not about the flat earth or why veganism is the one true way. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I saw one. um, It was a fascinating documentary called Loose Change. It did raise a lot of questions. Interesting. Um, Yeah. I mean, that one's (laughs) just really about truth. Like, what is truth? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What is truth? Um, you can find out more about this <laughs> via social media. This truth, and and really what you want to hear, because um, we all want to hear truth, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> there's no there's no getting around it. So, <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know like, if I uh, want truth so much as my opinion reaffirmed. Greg, can you recommend any I, pages, like social media pages, I can follow so I can get my truth reaffirmed? Yes, well, John, it's your opinion, so it is true. Oh, it is oh, fact. Okay. Yeah, that's good. That's good to and know. So, yes, and so you will find that uh, tr- that fact affirmed on three social media uh, accounts: Aspiring Snobs at Facebook, Aspiring Snobs at Twitter, and Aspiring Snobs at F- Instagram. Go ahead, give us a follow. Yeah, I know Instagram isn't a hotbed for conspiracy theory- conspiracy theories, but don't worry, we'll get there. Not in- yet, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll be our our Sunday spotlight: is Loose Change. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> jet fuel steel beams you know this (laughs) (laughs) fun stuff fun yeah any hoops because we've given you just an hour of fantastic content now what we need to ask you to do though is go to your podcast service of choice whether it's apple Podcasts or spotify or stitcher and then give us five stars and that'll help other people find us and spread the good word about steel beams and tower center (laughs) We, should, we shouldn't make light, it. No, we shouldn't. Yes. very Pat Tillman gave his light. <laughs> <laughs> no! <laughs> oh, no. Oh, my God. If we weren't going to hell, now we are. <laughs> so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Any whoops. <laughs> <laughs> um... Now, John, as we said earlier, this is Musical Month, mm-hmm. and we're going to uh, move through the decades in Best Picture winners. So we've, we've moved on from the stodgy 50s all the way to the swinging 60s. Hell yeah, baby. Yeah. Ginsberg, let's howl at the moon. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like no other movie exemplifies the counterculture other than the heavyweight that you and I are going to watch for the very first time, the sound of music. Hell yeah. People are probably more astounded that you and I haven't seen this one yet. Hmm. At least not in total. Like obviously we know, like the hills are alive with something Of course we've seen that. We've seen every AFI film special. <laughs> like we know, we know the big moments of the big songs, but we never sat down from beginning to end and watched it. So I mean, I can't even remember seeing it the first time, honestly. Yeah, I really, I really wanted to save it for something special. But instead, we're going to do it for musical month. What, what do you mean save it for something special? What next time the Nazis have a march? What do you? What, what occasion yeah, I, were you open yes. for? <laughs> I don't know, like a like a season finale, as if we have seasons. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so (laughs) Simon put on the pacifier the other night. Are you familiar with this movie, The Pacifier? okay gear change here of course do I not remember my Vin Diesel uh, comedy vehicles from 2006 (laughs) of course I remember the pacifier there's this really awkward shift the movie does where the kid is like acting out and he's like acting like a real asshole and they do a locker check and he has a swastika like armband in his locker and it's like, oh. whoa, what? where what, what is this movie going? <laughs> it turns out, you know, like, you know, Vin Diesel goes on to, like, special ops, follows him after school. Turns out he's going to audition for the play, the school play, which is the sound of music. That's why he has the swastika. <laughs> okay. Oh, <laughs> crisis averted. I thought he'd, he'd found the internet. Exactly. Was, uh, looking at it unsupervised. <laughs> that All scene right. plays much differently in uh, 2019, 2020, yeah. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Can can you say, John? That's the least objectionable thing about that movie. Because <laughs> uh, I think uh, people were not fans. So <laughs> Vin Diesel kind of took a nosedive after that. Um, what are you talking about, Greg? And we're and in the USA. we're in the Vin Diesel Renaissance right now. He's got he's got Fast and Furious. What are they up to? Nine. Yep. They seven. They just released a trailer for number nine. Number nine. They're up to number nine, and uh, and uh, Guardians of the Galaxy three is back on. He's got everything. He's fine. He's fine. Okay. All right. Coming this fall, Fire Two, <laughs> back in the Bjorn, it's straight to straight to Disney. Yes, <laughs> the uh, the Bjorn identity. Yes, got it. I keep implying That's it's a like a spy Bjorn. movie. He's a he's That's a marine. That's good. That's good. Yes, That's he, good. he's a Navy SEAL. So I don't know why I'm like implying that it's it's all black ops. We should be like murdering people. Yeah. Anyway, any hoops? <laughs> you have that to look forward to. Yes, uh, the hills being alive with the sound of you know what it is yeah, exactly. So, folks. Until then, thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next time... Keep
1: aspiring...
0: I thought that was okay.
1: Isn't it warm? Isn't it rosy? Side by side... Yes, like by side... Like ports in a storm... Comfy and cozy side by side He never loses his cool by side Everything shines how sweet side by side We just so